hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writing of Isaiah. Next to the book of Genesis, the book of Isaiah mentions water more than any other book in the Bible, and the most common reference to water is the same one that Jesus refers to, that is the context of salvation. Water is a great analogy of eternal life as water, which makes physical life possible, while the wells of salvation make eternal life probable. For by water is meant grace, which is compared to it because it is softening, purifying, fructifying, what a great word, fructifying, cooling and refreshing, and extinguishes thirst. And the bucket is faith that it is drawn with, and this is the gift of God. Dion has worked in death care since 1984 as a funeral director, embalmer, and deputy medical examiner. He works on natural and regional disaster response teams and was the morgue operations manager during Hurricane Katrina for seven months, earning a Volunteer of the Year citation. Dion opened the first alkaline hydrolysis facility in the Portland metro area, a natural water-based cremation process that speeds up the body's natural decomposition after death. The process leaves a significantly smaller carbon footprint on the earth and uses only one-tenth of energy of flame cremation. Dion, alkaline hydrolysis, also known as aqua cremation, it's available in 18 states, including Oregon, since 2010. Why is the aqua cremation process so appealing to an environmentally conscious demographic? Well, it's good to be with you, Elizabeth, and thank you for inviting me. Um, you're right. I, when I looked at uh, bringing alkaline hydrolysis, aqua cremation, bio cremation, green cremation to the Northwest, uh, it was because it fits our lifestyle. It's, it's what we're about. Uh, we're, we're finding that the sustainability of aqua cremation, because it uses one-tenth the energy, and that's the main reason uh, for using or having this option. It uses one-tenth the energy, leaving a 90% less carbon footprint. We'll get into some of the other, I think, added value of of uh, this type of disposition, we call it in the in the funeral industry, uh, but but using this uh, uh, method, uh, it, it really is just more sustainable. Um, I I think for our listeners to help them understand just a, a brief history, if I may, about uh, aqua cremation. It, its technical scientific name is called alkaline hydrolysis. It was patented in 1888. Um, it's been around for a long time. It's been mainly used in animal research. And what I mean by that, Elizabeth, is when they give um, a, a bacteria, a virus, uh, to an animal in research, uh, they wanted to make sure they, they were able to kill that virus or that bacteria or Ebola. Uh, they wanted to make sure that they had disposed of that animal carcass in a responsible way. And so it's been around for a long time. And in 1980, many of our viewers will remember the mad cow outbreak in Europe. 
And this is how they eradicated uh, Cruxfield Jacob, as we know it in humans, or mad cow uh, disease, was by using alkaline hydrolysis to treat the carcasses of, of those cattle that were sick. And so it's, uh, um, uh, as I've researched uh, and looked at this process, I watched where the University of Miami, or, or University of Florida, put a system in to help take care of their whole body donation cadavers, and that was in 1998. Uh, my alma mater, University of Minnesota, put one in in 2005, and then, and then the Mayo Clinic put one in in their program for their whole body donation. And so someone had the idea of what, it, what if we brought this to the masses and, and made it a, an option for families. And so uh, I've really studied it for about 10 years and felt like it just fit our, our lifestyle here in the Northwest, the eco-friendliness of it. One-tenth the energy, 90% less carbon footprint. Um, and I think as we educate the public to it, in time it will become preferred over flame cremation. And we always thought flame cremation wasn't eco-friendly from, from burial when we used a metal casket or concrete in, in the earth. Um, we're finding now that, that it's not. There are other ways, and, and this being, being that, that uh, uh, other way. Yeah, it's fun to talk about this, and I'm glad you're willing to talk about this and that you're making this happen for all of us here. I think baby boomers were the first ones, the people born between 1946 and 1964. They were the ones who decided that growing herbs and vegetables and the curbside recycling and the bottle bill, all this was super important. So they were choosing for their method of disposition. They were choosing cremation, that idea of, hey, I don't want to take up that 3,200 square foot plot of ground and have that traditional burial, we want to be cremated. That way we'll have this small box of cremains. We can put it on the shelf or scatter it off to the winds. I think a great educational piece that would be wonderful for you to share is why is cremation not quite as eco-friendly as we once thought? Okay, good question. Um, and I think for our listeners to understand cremation, um, as I, I visit with uh, different groups uh, about alkaline hydrolysis, aqua cremation, uh, I'm coming to find out that about half the public believe that cremation is done in an oven that bakes that body down to ashes, when really what happens is uh, there is a direct flame uh, on the body, and it does uh, burn the soft tissue. And so the calcium phosphate, or what we call the bones, are left. And in our industry, we call them cremated remains, and the public has called them uh, ashes. And so uh, the, the calcium phosphate, or the bones, are actually processed, and the family receives back in an urn the cremated remains, or as they called ashes, which are really the ground bones. And so with this process, the family still receives back the calcium phosphate, the bones that are left. And, and, and that's why we've been giving it the name of an aqua cremation. But to me, it actually mimics earth burial a lot closer. If, the, if you, we placed a body right next to the soil, as in a green burial, uh, over time what happens is tissue hydrolysis. It breaks the tissue down to amino acids, to peptides, salt, sugars, and soaps are basic um, elements. And this happens to do it, uh, alkaline hydrolysis does this in, in four hours, and, uh, and then the family still receives back the cremated remains um, or, or the calcium phosphate, the bones, as in traditional. So with the traditional cremation, they use a lot of natural gas. I think that it equates yep. to using the same amount of fuel, they say, to drive 4,800 miles 
around in a car around the uh, earth, but that's, of course, unless you drive a Prius. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and I Googled that once to, to just see how much gas is used in a, in a flame cremation, and, and you're right. I've, I've seen it from driving a car 700 miles. It would be from Portland to Salt Lake City or, or the one you just quoted, uh, uh, 4,800 miles or so, and that had to be a Prius because uh, <laughs> that that many miles. So, Scooter. so you're you're right. You 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 uh, the your your question asking why is it why is it uh, uh, not as eco friendly the flame cremation? It's the amount of fossil fuels that we use. Um, I had another uh, uh, way to put that is. Uh, we look at the energy used to cremate a 175-pound person, and you convert that to BTUs. Uh, we use 35 million BTUs, which is enough to heat a home for 32 days at minus 15-degree weather is another way to look at that. So it's it's not as green as we thought it was, and we're realizing that now, and we're educating to ourselves, and it's not as clean. One of the problems with uh, flame cremations and crematories is the uh, emissions of uh, of the gases into the air, uh, carbon uh, uh, dioxide, and uh, um, and then the mercury in our fillings, that that mercury enters the atmosphere. Um, the tribes for years have petitioned Salem about their concern of the mercury uh, from crematories that uh, the rain takes to the streams and the streams to the fish, and Governor Brown has asked that all crematories, incinerators in the state, and crematories being part of them, be looked at and studied. And so the the DEQ uh, is looking at uh, what the emissions are from incineraries in the state, and one of those being uh, crematories. I see, and, and the DEQ has proposed, that the rates increase because of uh, uh, these kind of concerns. And so I see the cost of cremation rising because of the, the environmental factors over time and the regulations. And so again, this this with the aqua cremation doesn't have those harmful gases, harmful emissions. Uh, everything is uh, neutralized and, uh, and we don't have uh, that output like with a flame crematory. So this can neutralize embalming fluid pathogens and basically protects the earth's water, soil, air from pollution? Exactly, exactly. Okay, let's talk about your machine, the green machine. Okay. Your mortuary <laughs> services has a nice machine. It has a lovely name, and it's actually the first highly pressurized version of the process west of the Mississippi. So tell us a name, and then what does that mean to have this first highly pressurized version? Okay, great. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. We, we call it the green machine. Actually, it was named after the first person that uh, we placed in the machine. She, her name was Iris Green. She was from Eugene. She was a science teacher all her life and heard about uh, this process and was terminal with cancer. And so when she died, she, she asked that her body be uh, cremated in this way. And so... Uh, um, uh, we we placed a plaque on our machine uh, in honor of Iris Green, and she was a science teacher in life and also in death. And uh, her daughters were very appreciative of of the fact that her her mother was able to be remembered in this way. Uh, and it and so uh, of course we call it the Green Machine after her, but also because it is greener. It's a, just a greener process. All that the way really around. just worked out well, didn't it? It did. You can't make that human interest <laughs> story up. It's uh, really really been nice. Uh, and, and uh, our machine, uh, uh, when we say a high-pressure machine, there's two type of 
aqua cremation machines. One's a low pressure and one's a high pressure. Uh, the difference being that a low pressure machine takes about 12 to 16 hours to do the process where a high pressure machine is able to, to do it in four hours. The cycle is four hours. And here in the metro area, I needed to be able to, to do a few of those in a day. And so it just seemed to make sense to have the high, high pressure machine um, brought here to the West Coast. And, and so we're the first uh, service to offer that, and we offer our services to funeral homes, and, and I would encourage your listeners to contact their friendly neighborhood funeral homes. I know Cornerstone, yourself, you offer that as an offering, as an option to families. Um, and, and so um, there, the other states are, are allowing this. Uh, there's another machine now in Utah, so I can no longer say we're the only one on the, on the, on the West Coast, but uh, uh, California just approved this process, and in 2020 they will allow. And so I see, you're gonna, you, I see that you're going to hear more about this, and it's going to be, uh, as I said, in time. I think it will be the preference in time. It's the zeitgeist, as I like to say, definitely something for the form of disposition. I know that's funerary talk, but that's what we say. We have to make sure things are legal within our own state. Mm -hmm. So as a funeral director, I've had families choose this option for their loved ones. And I wanted to share what this looks like Um, inside your mortuary services. There is a stainless steel apparatus. And before the loved ones place into that, they are... Um, laid in a in a silk garment in a lovely sort of basket looking container. Loved ones can see them and kind of take it from there. On okay. top of what they're you're, seeing. You're right. It's a stainless steel vessel, and the body is placed in a basket that that acts as a a baffle with the machine. So it's more of a jacuzzi tub effect. I always say it's gentler on the body, uh, as you mentioned in your opening, uh, a water being life and. Uh, Christ was the, the, the living water, and uh, it, it was 65% water. And as we, as we uh, um, run this process, we're really, it's, it's, it's gentler on the body. And so the basket actually acts like a baffle as the water moves over the body. So the, the body is placed, as you said, in a silk wrap. Uh, the machine doesn't eat cotton or polyesters. It does do a, a silk and wool and leather, and so we wrap the body in in the silk wrap. Um, then we add the potassium hydroxide, which is uh, the chemical that we use, which is not an acid. It is a, it is alkalinity. It's the opposite end of the pH scale. We use about 10% of body weight. So if someone's a, a 150 pounds, we use about 15 pounds of potassium hydroxide with about 80 gallons of water, and uh, they're they're. Uh, placed in the vessel. Um, the, if a family was there for the placement, if they wanted, uh, they can close the door. They can push the button to get it started. It doesn't make a lot of noise <laughs> like a crematory, which you've been around, but uh, it's very quiet, kind of like a washing machine in a sense. And uh, again, I just keep uh, saying how how uh, much uh, gentler it is because I've seen flame cremation, which is harsh on the body, I think, personally. Um, but it's gentler and it's a cleaner process. There's not all the carbon and the flame and the, and the, the cleanup that we have with the, uh, with the flame cremation. Uh, but as that process runs for the four hours, um, then, then again, the body's reduced to the calcium phosphate. That is gathered from the basket. And the reason for the basket is to keep uh, that calcium phosphate, the bones together, and then that is uh, run through a processor. 
So you probably get asked if the body is dissolved in acid yeah. or it's boiled, and good it's question. not. So explain yeah. that to people. Yeah, good good question. Yes, it's the opposite end of the pH scale. It's alkalinity. It's a base. Uh, you know, the pioneers, when I, when I say this potassium hydroxide, someone asked me, how can this be more green if you use a chemical? Great question. Um, I think the word chemical, and I do buy it from a chemical company, is a little, uh, a little strong for this uh, potassium hydroxide. It is actually a food-grade ingredient. They use it to make a, a, a beer, I understand. They use it. To, it's in our household products. It's what gives power to soap. It's in our soap products, our hair shampoo, our, our hand soaps, to cut the dirt off your hands, very small amounts. The amounts we use it, it's caustic. But it's a food-grade ingredient. It's uh, approved by the FDA as a food-grade uh, ingredient. Um, the other is potassium hydroxide. It's been around for a long time. The pioneers actually made it. They called it potash. And, the, and they would make this by taking the ashes from their fire, putting it in a pot, thus it got the name potash. They would add water, boil it down, and skim off the potassium hydroxide or caustic lye or, or potash as it's known, and they would make soap from that. That's how people still make uh, their own homemade soap, is they take the animal renderings, the fat, and add, add the potash, and it will, it will help turn that to soap and make that to soap. It breaks down that tissue and makes a soap byproduct. And so it's kinda, it is really a, a natural ingredient. Um, so the leftover water, it's the effluent. Uh, that's the fancy name in this process, the effluent. It's stored and it's shared with local nurseries and seed farmers. So that really brings that cycle of life really full circle, doesn't it? It, it does. And uh, I think it's important to understand that we're allowed to go to the septic system, uh, the sewer system, waste management system. And I've learned a lot about uh, the waste management system. I never really paid attention to it. A lot of things go down our drain. And uh, um, uh, people... Um, have have uh, said well uh, and if there's any derogatory th- thoughts about this process it's they're flushing grandma mm. down the drain and it has that certain ick factor and a couple of points on that one is uh, uh, because of that ick factor i thought we needed to to uh, add a a a tank a vessel that would hold this affluent and then bring it to to the nurseries because of the animal affluent the animal research i talked about we, we, they have known for years that that affluent is a great plant nutrient. And so we then, uh, because of that life cycle, instead of going to the uh, sewer system, waste management, which if it did, the water would still be recycled. That's the important part of that, is that it's recycled. And waste management works really hard to get every drop of water back and back into the, to the system. Uh, and so it is recycled. But with, with using it as a plant nutrient to tree farmers, seed farmers, um, that to me, again, that life cycle, and it's also recycled in, I think, a, a better responsible way. And I think that's an added value to the process by being able to use the affluent. And families, I've come to find, have really liked that idea. I have a few families that have asked that, uh, um, and we have done this, where the, the process is done. Uh, they take their cremated remains, they bury them, they've added, uh, planted a tree, and then they've taken five gallons of the affluent to fertilize that tree. Lovely. Uh, and it's just uh, really has been uh, 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 
important to them or pleasing to them or, or at least giving them some satisfaction that, that, again, this life cycle continues. And also where this process, um, which is a, the calcium phosphate that's left with this process, actually turns that th- those bone ashes into more of a, a usable where it can feed the plant. Unlike cremated or flame cremated remains, uh, a lot of people think they're uh, helping the, the plant by, by burying them, but the way it's processed, it doesn't, it doesn't break down the same way. And so there's a scientific way that it breaks down with the alkaline hydrolysis that it allows those cremated remains to actually feed the plant better. Yeah, people don't realize that. The cremated remains, they are high in salt, they're Mm -hmm. nutrient deficient, and they don't biodegrade. And I think sometimes if you sprinkle those ashes on your favorite plant in the garden, you're going to go ahead and kill it. And what a heck of a way to remember grandma. (laughs) Not the best way. (laughs) All right. So the process, all faiths, right? Faiths, all different type of people? Yes, yes. Um, You know, uh, Initially, when it when it first uh, came as a new idea, um, the, the Catholic Church took a stand. Uh, they were concerned about the separation, but I think as they've come to understand that that also happens in a crematory, that the the soft tissue is burned, and that there is separation, and there's there's the mercury that goes in the fil- and and all the things that occur, that that they have now uh, stepped back from their opposition. Uh, to this type of process because they've come to be educated and understand it. So, yeah, all faiths uh, have, uh, uh, as far as I understand, are are open to the idea. So let's talk about your business. You have Mm -hmm. a family-friendly business because, in fact, you have many friendly family members all working uh, under uh, one big roof. Well, you've you've had a chance to to meet my family. I They're a, delightful. I have a large family. I have eight children and been married to my wife uh, Amy of 40 years this year and we call her Saint Amy. She's put up with me <laughs> all those years. Uh, but with our eight children, uh, we've uh, uh, Luckily, as a family, we've been able to work together, and there's their home from college. They they work at uh, our facility. My son's been the general manager. I have another son who's my CFO. My daughter's uh, cremate, um, and all of our families are out and assisting on uh, uh, picking up decedents and bringing them to into our care. And so we've, we've all been involved, and, and it, it's been a joy to work together as a family. We're very fortunate that we, we get along and have been able to, to, to work together as a family. Definitely. And I don't think anybody can use the term besides you, my daughter's cremate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, they really like, to, I call them the girls on fire. Uh, they really, truly are. <laughs> a baseball team, maybe. Yes. Something going on yes. there. And, you know, we as a, as a, as a firm just lost our maintenance man. He, uh, he had developed uh, cancer and was given two weeks to a month to live. And right at the two and a half week mark, he, he died just here a few weeks ago. And so we just had his service Saturday and, and Monday, uh, being a very emotional day for us as we placed him in our alkaline hydrolysis unit. Uh, uh, Carl was his name and Carl actually helped us put the machine in. He helped wire and plumb it. And it was his, it was his baby. And he uh, took care of that machine, and so it was uh, with a heavy heart that we uh, 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 took care of Carl. And uh, but but it was his wish. As soon as he found out, he 
he was terminal with cancer. He called me and said, I won't be able to come to work. And I, of course, asked why, and he told me. And, and, and I said, are you doing okay with that diagnosis, Carl? And he said, well, you know, I've had a great life. I've had a great wife. I have a great family. And uh, so we leave it in the Lord's hands. And, uh, and then he said, uh, make sure you put me an iris uh, in the green machine when it's my time. And so, um, yeah, tender, tender conversation, but uh, um, it was his baby. And so uh, yeah, I've had my friends. I, I've got my, my aunt who plans to be cremated this way. And so, uh, yeah, it's part of what we do. It's hard, though, even though you and I are both end-of-life and death care professionals, seeing people you love and care for mm-hmm. pass away and then mm-hmm. having to actually, like you're saying, have them utilize this form of disposition. Mm-hmm. That's really, that takes a lot. It really is. And I, uh, uh, you know, I get busy sometimes with the uh, helping put the details together and assisting in. And as I closed the door Monday on Carl, I, I really lost it. I really just had my moment where I needed to to just step back and uh, have a good cry and then move on. Uh, and I got to say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, goodbye to my friend, but hello to all those memories I have of him. That is beautiful. If you can just share, um, I know this is very heavy, but being the morgue operations manager during Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. wow, what was that like? You know, it was life-changing. Um, I, I also have been the morgue operations manager at Puerto Rico a few years ago, and of course that was a very political controversy uh, uh, that, that was later in, in the press. A lot of people heard, but I, I assisted other disasters this past year at uh, Hurricane Florence and Michael and then wow. the... Uh, the typhoons and at Guam, at uh, Yatu and uh, Mancook, um, but but it's a real a real honor. It is a life changing in that uh, um, we took care of over eighteen hundred people at Katrina, and uh, um, to be able to assist them uh, to get get them forensically identified and back to their families that that was our goal. I know as we met as a as a crew uh, uh, in August, one of our goals uh, when that happened in two thousand and five was to return all the children that had died at Katrina by Christmas time and uh, I was able to on the night of the twenty fourth of December uh, we returned the last eleven year old and the last three year old mm-hmm. to their families and so th- it is life changing it it just uh, you, you're 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 not the same in your perspective in life after s- such a mass fatality. And uh, uh, again, there's a lot of satisfaction in being able to forensically identify and then get them back to their family. The same with 9/11. I, I didn't serve at 9/11. I became involved after that. But I've talked to those members of our our unit that was involved at 9/11 and the Oklahoma City bombing, or or we deal with any airline crashes, it's a, we take that very seriously, and it's a great honor to be able to help, and it's such a unique way. Not everybody can do it, thank goodness. Um, and those that are called upon, we find great, great satisfaction in that. It's an honor and a privilege, and I do believe it's something that, like you say, life-changing, something mm-hmm. that those who are called to do it really serve well. So thank mm-hmm. you for all of your efforts and all you do. My goodness. Well, thank you. It's a unique ministry. I look at it and, and uh, glad I'm being able, able to be asked and be able to assist in a unique way. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Dion Stromer. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.